Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Brad Hopkins and here, Ryan Tucker, on their lawsuit to maintain the Wyoming Rescue Mission's freedom to hire only those who share their beliefs. The real religious nonprofits, they would be destroyed if they don't have the right to hire those who share their beliefs. I mean, think about it. An atheist, someone that comes in, doesn't espouse those beliefs, you're going to destroy the very core of the, the mission, the institution that you've created. So this is an absolute necessity for these rights to be recognized. Ryan Tucker and Brad Hopkins, next. For 44 years, the Wyoming Rescue Mission in Casper has served the hungry and the homeless as a Christian ministry. That identity has come under fire as the Wyoming Department of Workforce Services sided with a woman who claimed the mission illegally denied her a thrift store job. The mission has filed suit to protect its religious liberties. Our guests are Brad Hopkins, Executive Director of the Wyoming Rescue Mission, and Ryan Tucker, an attorney and director of Alliance Defending Freedom Center for Christian Ministries. Brad, this case began when someone applied for a job at your Rescued Treasures thrift store. What's the background? Thank you for your uh, interest in in the situation. It's really a freedom uh, to hire based on faith, uh, clearly outlined in in our First Amendment and and, uh, certainly Wyoming state statute as well. Uh, We've been serving uh, the poor and needy for 44 years uh, here in Casper and folks struggling from around the state of Wyoming, uh, founded by a collection of churches who shared a common faith in Jesus Christ. And, you know, what Jesus said when he initiated his ministry was, I came to preach good news to the poor. And then a a list of uh, practical things that he does to uh, alleviate people uh, and their suffering. And that's exactly what uh, we do. And uh, our Rescue Treasures thrift stores, as you mentioned, uh, Bill, are a critical part of our programs at uh, Wyoming Rescue Mission, our ministries, uh, all the way from uh, just being faithful uh, stewards, uh, as, as we saw God in, in the very beginning commanded Adam and Eve to manage the garden, uh, to uh, our recovery program, our 12-month discipleship recovery program, where folks are literally homeless due to uh, a chemical addiction. And so these stores are a critical piece of Uh, their journey uh, into sobriety uh, with Jesus. Uh, And so it's critical that we have staff that that can speak in uh, to uh, our homeless guest lives that we're serving. Um, We just don't want to rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. I mean, Mm -hmm. practical helps are are very important. Uh, However, uh, all of us, our time is limited and (laughs) we need eternal hope. And uh, this is what we do. So this person came to you and was applying for an opening at the Rescued Treasures thrift store and was not hired and claimed discrimination. And that was because she expressed no Christian faith. Is that right? Right. The the individual uh, literally had no faith in God. While we certainly appreciated the honesty of that, uh, we have always hired for faith in, in Jesus Christ and um, it's just a critical uh, protection and opportunity and, you know, all the benefits that uh, Casper and our state enjoys that we provide uh, without charge uh, is because of our faith. And uh, if Jesus goes away, uh, 
we go away. Once she was not hired, she filed a discrimination complaint. Correct. Yes. Uh, uh, she felt like she had been discriminated for her lack of faith. Well, let me uh, ask uh, Mr. Ryan Tucker a question here. Uh, Ryan's the senior counsel and director of the Center for Christian Ministries with Alliance Defending Freedom. Well, Ryan, over the next 16 months, as I understand it, the Wyoming Department of Workforce Services in- investigated her claim. Uh, can you tell us what what that investigation entailed and what was the finding uh, in the end? As you mentioned, it was an over 16-month long investigation and, and process. And during that time, uh, several questions were asked. Um, information was provided uh, to the state. Uh, most importantly is the simple fact that, as Brad alluded to, uh, both the state statute um, and federal law and the U.S. Constitution protects the right of religious organizations to, to freely hire those who share their beliefs. And um, that simple concept, one that's um, been in place uh, and used obviously effectively at the mission for now over four decades, whatever reason, uh, both the state uh, agency as well as uh, the federal agency, the EEOC, thought otherwise. And at the end of that 16 and a half uh, month long investigation, issued a probable cause determination saying that in fact, in their estimation, she in fact did have a proper claim of discrimination and gave her the right to uh, sue the mission. Now, ultimately, she chose not to do so, and we're thankful for that. The problem is, though, moving forward, the mission is now in this quandary. Do they or do they not, in fact, have the right to hire those who share their beliefs? According to the state, and according to the EOC, apparently not, based on their determination. And so we were forced, the mission was forced to go to the federal courts uh, to have what I call really black letter law uh, uh, determination be made by a federal judge. You said black letter law. W- w- what is that? In a more common vernacular, it's just it's just plain as day. Mm. The, the state statute, uh, federal law, Title Seven, provides an exemption uh, for religious organizations uh, to hire those who share their beliefs, and it's really quite you know if you think about it, it's just sort of commonsensical. As believers, we understand why that's important. Um, you know, we view everything through a biblical lens, a biblical worldview. So it makes sense that in particular in a mission, a situation like this, when you've got our most vulnerable in society coming in, um, seeking help, um, they're seeking not only sort of tangible help, things that will take care of, you know, food, water, their hunger, their clothing, um, but also spiritual help as well. And God certainly has called us to, to spread his name, to spread the gospel. And that's expected of the employees there and of a ton of religious institutions across the United States. And as, as Brad, I think, succinctly uh, said it up earlier, if religious organizations don't have this right, then what you're going to be doing is destroying religious institutions. Um, Justice Alito, in fact, uh, earlier this year, Supreme Court Justice um, said in a, uh, a statement, an, an opinion that's released, I'll quote him on this, and this really gets to the the crux of the matter. He said, if states could compel religious organizations to hire employees who fundamentally disagree with them, many religious nonprofits would be extinguished from participation in public life. I'd go a step further and say that all the, the, the real religious nonprofits, they would be destroyed if they don't have the right to hire those who share their beliefs. I mean, think about it. An atheist 
someone that comes in doesn't espouse those beliefs, you're going to destroy the very core of the, the mission, the institution that you've created. So this is an absolute necessity for these rights to be recognized. Well, my guests today on His People are Ryan Tucker, Senior Counsel and Director of the Center for Christian Ministries with Alliance Defending Freedom, and Brad Hopkins, who is Executive Director of the Wyoming Rescue Mission in Cass, where we're talking about a federal lawsuit that uh, Ryan and Alliance Defending Freedom have filed over its freedom to hire only those who share its beliefs, as has been discussed so far. Well, there's some huge issues at play here, Ryan. Uh, Can you talk about the, the, the issues, the issues of freedom that are at stake in this case? Well, um, absolutely. I mean, the, there, these are, there, there are issues relative to um, not just state law and state interpretation of a law that, that I think is very clear that, that says this mission has the right to, to do exactly as they have done in the past and even moving forward. Federal law, again, protects the, 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 the right of institutions like this uh, to freely hire those who share their beliefs. But the U.S. Constitution itself, perhaps most importantly, recognizes what we call the uh, co-religionist doctrine, the idea, again, that you should be able to freely hire um, uh, those who believe uh, like you do. And so these are these are First Amendment principles. Um, they, they go beyond, again, simple um, you know, determination of what a state statute or a federal statute says. And, uh, you know, ultimately, if you have uh, state, federal governments, you know, threatening religious uh, organizations like this, um, I'm so thankful that this mission was comfortable enough to, to, to take a stand on these issues. Mm-hmm. But um, for those that, that don't stand up or capitulate, um, you know, it becomes a serious problem. You know, it's important for people to, to take a stand. And we're so appreciative of organizations like the Wyoming Rescue Mission and the stance that they're taking here. So, uh, as you said, constitutional issues, I mean, the First Amendment, freedom of religion, it's one of the first, the first oh, yeah. freedoms that we have. A- absolutely. Absolutely. There's a reason it's, it's there first. Uh, and um, a- at its core, uh, we really are talking about freedom of religion. There are principles out there, and not to digress too far, but there are issues of autonomy, the idea that the government itself uh, should be staying out of the, the, the business of uh, religious organizations like uh, the, this gospel rescue mission here. Can you think of an, uh, a situation where the government is able to come in and basically tell Brad, tell the Wyoming rescue mission how, in fact, they should be operating their particular facility. And what's really interesting here is that that's not just a, um, a hypothetical uh, threat. That threat was actually made after we talked about the timeline earlier. After the probable cause determination was made, the Wyoming Department of Workforce Services came in and said, all right, now that we've made a probable cause determination, here's a chance for you to to settle this. And what were those terms of settlement? Well, one included uh, paying uh, money to this individual. Um, uh, Another condition was, you know, don't make uh, these hiring decisions based on uh, someone's faith. Um, They would be required to provide reports to the government indicating how it is that they're you know, basically in compliance uh, with this. It would also have allowed the department to come in and inspect that premises, make sure that they're doing what the government wants them to do and even post notices on site saying, oh, by the way, uh, we discriminated against someone. And, and so that government intrusion into the inner workings of the autonomy of, uh, of religious organizations, that simply cannot stand. 
And that's why we have gone to federal court to 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 seek um, help and assistance from the federal court system. Well, Brad, as you've explained, as executive director of the Wyoming Rescue Mission, the importance of all employees being able to articulate, and particularly those as well in your uh, thrift store uh, that uh, this individual had applied for. And you even have a, a Jesus Save sign in front of the rescue mission, right? I mean, it's very clear that this is a this is a totally Christian-based ministry. Yes, we do, Bill. Uh, that's the, the core of our message, uh, both to those that are struggling with homelessness, but the entire community. On our thrift stores, uh, we have our logo, which has the cross uh, representing that Christ gave his life upon and uh, a ministry of Wyoming Rescue Mission. So, I mean, we really have infused a, an ethos of ministry and Christ-centeredness throughout uh, every aspect of our organization. And can you give us an idea of the size? I mean, the, the employees, the volunteers, the, the, there are a lot of people involved in it. Well, well and, and that's part of the impetus for this uh, legal action. I mean, the, the uh, state uh, EEOC has really affected our ability to hire uh, for fear of uh, additional rep- reprisals and, and complaints of discrimination. Uh, we have uh, over 60 employees right now. Uh, serving 168 hours a week, 24-7, around the clock, uh, some 2,500 individuals over the course of the year that are struggling with homelessness. Uh, And, you know, by the way, those who graduate out of our 12-month discipleship recovery program, uh, over 83% of those are self-sufficient, sober, uh, doing well uh, a year later after graduation. So, uh, tremendous impact. uh, all the way from serving 60,000 meals to those in need over the course of the year to the recovery program. Do I understand correctly, Brad, that you have put hiring decisions on hold in some respect? We have. It's really affected our, our ability to, to freely hire. And uh, this is why uh, we've taken this action or uh, board after very careful consideration and prayer, uh, myself included. Uh, we, were, we were of one mind. I mean, this is one of those lines in the sand issues uh, that just really affects uh, the very essence of, of who we are and why we exist. And turning to Ryan uh, Tucker, uh, the, um, an attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom, Ryan, is this something of an isolated instance or is this kind of thing uh, do you see increasingly facing Christian nonprofit organizations across the country? I, I wish I could say it's isolated. It's, it's unfortunately not. Um, we have been seeing this, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, quite a bit just within the last uh, year in the state of Washington, for example, not, not too far from uh, the Wyoming Rescue Mission. Um, there was another uh, uh, homeless shelter who faced uh, a similar uh, problem. In that instance, you had uh, a- another atheist, um, someone that was in a same-sex relationship that not only in their application process um, note, noted that on their application, but also said um, very clearly, we want you to change your belief system as I come into this organization. And in that instance, that also resulted in litigation that went to the, to the uh, Washington State Supreme Court, where the Washington State Supreme Court actually found in favor of that individual. That case did go to the U.S. Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ended up not taking on action on that case immediately. 
But the statement I read earlier from Justice Alito was actually from that case where he was pointing out the fact that if this is allowed, this will absolutely destroy religious organizations. The case was actually sent back down to the Washington State Board, and eventually the 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 plaintiff there, the individual, dropped uh, his lawsuit. So um, there's really um, no chance, in, at least in that situation, for clarity. But our good friends in the state of Washington are all of the religious organizations right now are operating under this cloud where state officials, their their highest court in their state have made very clear that um, unless the caveat is this, they're saying that unless you've hired a quote unquote minister, um, you don't have the right to hire or fire those of uh, the same faith. So they're they're drawing this very small line and saying, we'll let you hire quote-unquote ministers, um, but anybody that doesn't meet that definition, um, you are simply out of luck. Now, again, looking at it from a biblical worldview, as I talked about before, I mean, we're, we're called to spread the love of Christ. Um, I very clearly can make an argument that every single individual that is hired at certainly at the Wyoming Rescue Mission and elsewhere um, is indeed a, a, a minister, a true minister of the gospel. But in our legal system, they don't obviously look at things through that same lens. And so in states like Washington and quite frankly, elsewhere across the United States, we're seeing this being an ever growing problem. And that's again, why I'm so thankful that ADF was able to partner with uh, the Wyoming Rescue Mission and trying to fix this wrong. I know I have to let you go here in just a minute, uh, Ryan. So, so you and Alliance Defending Freedom have filed this this suit in U.S. District Court. Are, are you saying, in one sense, that it may well take a U.S. Supreme Court decision to finally resolve this issue? I I, I think it will. I, I think ultimately these are the type issues because we're seeing these pop up across the various states, um, and we're having to litigate these issues in 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 a number of different courts. I do think at some point. The U.S. Supreme Court will take on the question of whether or not uh, religious organizations do indeed have the freedom to hire those who share their beliefs. And, and we think that this is embedded within the U.S. Constitution. And I expect that at some point in the near term, the U.S. Supreme Court will take a case that says exactly that. And finally, Brad, your hope for, I mean, it's kind of an obvious question, but your hope for how this all goes. Well, it's exactly as Paula instructed Timothy to we just lift up uh, holy hands in prayer, uh, that we have peace uh, with our governmental leaders and that, so that the gospel may go forth freely. I mean, that's really the end goal uh, of our work and establishing what is so clear uh, in all the laws and statutes that Ryan referenced. I have to say we are incredibly grateful for the Alliance for Defending Freedom, uh, Ryan Tucker and his team uh, providing their services pro bono for us, certainly worthy uh, of our support and prayers. Uh, we're incredibly grateful for their journeying so closely, uh, really these last 24 months in this process. Brad Hopkins, Executive Director of the Wyoming Rescue Mission in Casper, and Ryan Tucker, an attorney and director of Alliance Defending Freedom Center for Christian Ministries. Now another issue impacting our listening area, question one on Nevada's ballot this fall, also known as SJR8, if passed, would add new language to Nevada's Constitution. This is not an isolated incident. Similar measures have been introduced in other states as well. To discuss the situation, we contacted Matt Sharp, an attorney and state government relations national director with Alliance Defending Freedom. Matt, why is this Senate joint resolution, this ballot question concerning to you? Yeah, well, when you look at what 
the question does that's going to amend the state constitution to add sexual orientation, gender identity, or expression to the state constitution. And what we've seen is that when language like this has been used and added to state law, how that impacts religious liberty, how it impacts free speech, how it hurts women and girls uh, when it comes to fairness in sports, privacy in uh, restrooms, locker rooms, changing rooms, things like that. So when we're taking language that we've already seen have such harmful impacts on so many Americans across the country, and we're now adding it to the state constitution, we ought to all be concerned about what that would mean for people in the state. Now, on the ballot measure itself, uh, in arguments for passage of it, it says they state that the language will not remove the state's ability to ensure competitive balance in school sports, and it will not prevent the traditional separation of men's and women's restrooms and locker rooms and government-owned facilities. In other words, the the, uh, arguments for passage are trying to anticipate some of the things that you just said. What do you say in response? They're kind of saying, no, it's it's not going to do those things. Yeah, I think we want to say, how has this actually been interpreted in other states? So let's talk about the sports issue. In Connecticut, Alliance Defending Freedom represents several female athletes that because Connecticut has similar language in state law, not their constitution, just state law, we've seen the sports association there use that to say a guy has to be allowed to play on a girl's team simply by identifying as a girl. And as a result, our clients there, four incredibly talented young women, lost opportunities to advance in competition. There was over 16 state championships that these two males won because of the policy, 15 instances where a young woman's record was broken, and over 80 times when a girl lost a spot on a podium or lost the chance to advance to the next round of competition. So whatever proponents of this very damaging language may say, how it actually works out is that girls are going to be on the losing end when it comes to competitive fairness in sports. And the same is true when it comes to locker rooms and restrooms. Those same justifications that you have to treat someone consistent with their gender identity means you can't tell the boy, sorry, you don't belong in the girl's restroom. You don't belong in the girl's changing room. And so we're seeing more and more stories pop up where young women are having their right to privacy violated by guys coming in and saying, I've got a right to be in here based on my gender identity. So regardless of what proponents say, let's look at how this has actually impacted women and girls in other places where language like this is passed just in state law. So, so you're saying that in other states where similar language like this has been in proposed amendments when it's passed, it has altered the, for example, the use of the traditional use of the men's and women's locker rooms. That's exactly right. Yeah. And again, those are places where they've just passed it as a matter of adding it to state law. What Nevada is doing that is really unprecedented, they're putting it in the Constitution. And so, as many people know, when we're talking about constitutional rights, there are much, much stronger legal protections. And so you could very easily see how people could take and misuse this language in ways that are going to even further undermine women's rights, comparative fairness in sports, and a lot of other issues that we hold dear to our hearts. Well, I'm talking with Mr. Matt Sharp. He is Senior Counsel and State Government Relations National Director for Alliance Defending Freedom. And we're talking about uh, the proposed uh, question one on Nevada's ballot this fall, uh, Nevada's uh, Senate Joint Resolution, or SRJ8, and what it is uh, proposing, and then the, the uh, kind of the pro and con Matt is giving us, how it is sort of 
panned out in other states. Uh, you mentioned right at the beginning, Matt, that one issue that uh, this question bears on is that of free speech or freedom of speech. And I'm wondering, how does this, it's talking about equality of rights, how could that, or what is the, the ramification on free speech? So let's again look at what we're starting to see pop up. Uh, we've had case after case where college professors, public school teachers, and others have been told that they must use inaccurate pronouns. So we had a case in Southern Ohio, Professor Nick Merriweather, uh, who had a student that was identifying as, as a different gender. And Professor Merriweather said, look, I'm, I'm happy to refer to you by your first name, but I can't in good conscience say a pronoun that I know is not true. That's a statement of, of truth for Dr. Merriweather. And yet he was at risk of losing his job simply because he did not want to be forced something to say something that he disagreed with. So when we take this gender identity language, it's going to mean schools and colleges Colleges and others could say, look, under our Constitution, we have to not discriminate based on gender identity. And that means you college professor, you high school teacher, you must call a boy a girl. You must use and speak things that you know are not true, that you that violate your conscience and your beliefs about these matters of what it means to be male and female. And so we're seeing how language like this is already being weaponized in college policies, high school policies, how much more so can it be misused to try and censor the free speech rights of countless people in Nevada that simply want to be free to speak the truth and not be forced to say inaccurate pronouns, inaccurate names, things like that. And what about its effect on state financial aid to students at faith-based colleges and universities? I don't know how many there are in Nevada, but would there be some kind of a uh, ramification there? Yeah, I think this this addresses some of the religious liberty concerns. So in, in most states, uh, including Nevada, I'm sure there are uh, government financial assistance that goes to private colleges, uh, even maybe go to certain social service organizations, homeless shelters, um, food pantries that are operated by religious organizations. Well, you could very easily see how the state could use this uh, uh, SJR 8 and this this language in the state constitution to say, if you want to keep receiving that money, if your students want to get this financial aid or you want to get this money for the homeless shelter, the, the food pantry, you must abandon your religious beliefs when it comes to what marriage is, marriage between a man and a woman, or your beliefs about what it means to be male and female, that God created us male and female. And you must be willing to open your facility. So let's take a, a religious college, for example. Would a, a religious college that gets state financial assistance have to allow men to use the women's dormitories? Would it be allowed to continue to teach that God created marriage between a man and a woman? All of these are potentially at stake. And once again, we've seen in places like Massachusetts where they, uh, the state there tried to uh, de-credit, uh, to take away the uh, licensure and recognition of a religious college there for having policies about marriage and human sexuality. And so our concern is this could also be used to undermine religious liberty of these institutions. And medical rights of conscience? Yeah, another great example there. So we know that there's a growing voice in the medical community. They're concerned about giving kids puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and, and irreversible surgeries that can render them incapable of ever having children. And a lot of these doctors are beginning to speak out saying, we don't feel in good conscience we can do this. But we've already seen how the Biden administration has tried to use this similar language, this addition of gender identity to Obamacare, to try and tell doctors, nurses, and hospitals, you must do gender transition procedures on kids. You must sterilize them. You must uh, pump them full of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. And that undermines the right of these doctors to say this is harmful to kids. We should not be doing this to children that don't understand the consequences, that the science is bad, that when 
Places like Finland, Australia, England are saying we should not be doing this to kids. Here, our government is trying to force doctors to do that. And so we're concerned that this amendment could be used to force doctors and nurses to do these harmful procedures on kids. And our time is going very quickly, Matt, but the taxpayer funding for abortion and, of course, the pushback against that is that, well, abortion is legal, completely legal in in Nevada. So what would be the concern there? Again, we've seen in New Mexico, for example, that they adopted uh, language like this and was interpreted by a court there to say not only is there abortion in state, but you taxpayers have to pay for it. And so our concern is that not only would uh, this terrible right to abortion in uh, Nevada be continued, but that taxpayers there would be forced to pay for this, that this amendment could be used to require taxpayer dollars to go to that. And something that goes into the state constitution, uh, in, in this case, this is where this would go. It's difficult to change those. And as you say, there's not just equality of rights. It sounds so good, but there's so many things that are affected. And if it goes in the state constitution, how has it changed? That's exactly right. And this is one of the reasons why we need to be very careful when it comes to what we put in the Constitution. Uh, it, it a lot of times doesn't have the subtlety that's needed in law. We look at something like Title IX that both protects equal opportunities based on sex, but still says you can have separate dormitories, locker rooms, etc. This is sort of going after it with a sledgehammer. And this is why we're concerned how it could impact privacy, religious liberty, speech, and a host of issues because of the broad hammer it's taking to this issue in the state. And then that it has taken to uh, other states that have implemented something right. similar. Matt Sharp, an attorney and state government relations national director with Alliance Defending Freedom. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's John Sorensen who says, most Americans are open to having conversations about spiritual things. Are you okay having a spiritual conversation? Six out of 10 of the people that we approached would say, sure. Yeah, go ahead. And we would ask them these questions, and eventually it would lead into a, a full-on conversation about how a person can have eternal life. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.